0: Welcome to Our Shoreline, Your Horizon, a podcast by Dan Casey, featuring business and economic development news from St. Clair County, Michigan. Stretch your horizons in the beautiful shoreline communities of St. Clair County, home to one of the nation's busiest international
1: border crossings. Learn more at edascc.com. Hello, I'm Dan Casey with the Economic Development Alliance of St. Clair County, Michigan, and thank you for tuning in to the EDA's Our Shoreline, Your Horizon podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome Randy Myers, the president and CEO of the Community Foundation. Randy, welcome, and thanks for being here today.
0: Thanks, Dan. Good to see you.
1: Yeah, it's good to see you too. So the Community Foundation of St. Clair County is the largest grant-making foundation in Michigan's thumb region. How does the foundation help to strengthen and improve our community through grant-making and scholarships?
0: Yeah, so really, you know, one way to look at what the foundation does is we just provide the vehicle or mechanism for people that want to give back to their hometown or their schools or their favorite parks and programs. That's really the best way to view it, you know, is just tapping into what people want to do. And, and we are so fortunate in this region that people want to give back and give back in small ways, little ways, but then big ways. And, and we just kind of stay behind the scenes and just connect them to those opportunities.
1: Like any foundation, though, you have a strategic plan. And each year you set goals and objectives for that funding year. So can you talk a little bit about that process?
0: Yeah, when we do a little bit differently than, than maybe other foundations, we don't start with our board or staff, actually. We start by reaching out to the community and listening to what's going on. Um, over the years I've been here, Dan, the, the biggest things we've ever done, the greatest things we've ever done were never our ideas. They were really just because we listened to the community. So we work on priorities, strategic priorities, We spend anywhere from three to six months every three years going out to the community saying, what are you hearing these days? What's on the radar? What's most important that you see coming down the road that we should pay attention to? Um, As an example, that's how the regional trails came about. Trails are certainly not our idea. We didn't start trails, right? County Park started trails back in the 80s. So our priorities are based on what does the public want to do. There's a little bit of a nuance there trying to find gaps or areas where we can make a difference, right? There are a lot of things that are important doesn't mean we can make a difference in them. So we do a listening tour every three years and then we try to find out, all right, how do we connect our donors or our endowments or our unrestricted assets to doing something that we've heard in the community? But, but really, they're, they're not Randy's idea. They're not our board's idea. They just populate up or grow up organically from the community.
1: So that sounds like a great process where you start with the community, you get feedback from the community. Meanwhile, you've got donors, donor advised funds and other things that You've already got in place so that you can react. Exactly. Right once you get that feedback from the community. So, speaking of which, what are the priorities for 2022?
0: Yeah, they really haven't changed too much over the last few years. First and foremost, it's still about placemaking, economic development from a philanthropic lens, right? I mean, if you look at the work the EDA does and the foundation, we're similar in some regards. We both care about economic development. We just go about it with a little bit more of a placemaking focus, a little bit of arts and culture focus. So that's still number one, right? Our unique downtowns in this part of Michigan are, are the strengths. Everyone acknowledges that. So we try to spend a lot of money in downtowns. And then anything around helping young people succeed. And by young, you know, I, I mean anyone younger than me, right? <laughs> so whether that's skilled trades or exploring some career path or exploring college, just anything that helps young people explore what's next, right? What's next in their lives. That's, that's the two areas where when we are asked our opinion, when a donor says, here's some you know, amount of money and I want you to decide what to do with it, that's probably how we're going to spend it.
1: So we have been fortunate enough to partner with your organization on numerous initiatives over the years, and I'm sure we'll do more in the future. And I, I really like that partnership where you're focused on these quality of life assets and downtowns, and we have our angle to working on those projects as well. One of those projects that we're both jointly working on right now is the theater in St. Clair, wouldn't you agree?
0: Mm, Yeah, huge project. Complicated, uh, huge potential impact. And you're right, that's a good example of how it overlaps the EDA's world and the foundation's world. But no matter what, that theater is going to have a major
1: economic impact on this region. And of course, we've worked with the Vertons before because another one of their previous projects that we both were involved with was the Marine City Hotel.
0: Yeah, the Marine State Hotel is a great example of collaboration. As you know, Blue meets Green talked about the need for a hotel down there for a long time. If I remember Dan, it actually predated the Burtons. There was conversations about the need and a gap down there. And you're right. I think what's, what I think the stakeholders or a lot of the stakeholders appreciate is how partners can find opportunities to work together, recognize when there's some mutual interest, and what does that really mean, and what do we bring to the table. In the hotel case, we really did very little. We did a lot of cheerleading. We brought a little bit of money. But as you recall, early on, we had some flexible money, some brownfield, some economic impact study, just kind of stirring the pot a little bit with discretionary money until your group and some state groups and the Vertons put the whole package together. That's really a classic example of how philanthropy can help stakeholders like the EDA, like private entrepreneurs, local units of government come together
1: and do something great. So uh, these type of downtown projects can be very complicated, as you said. The Marine City Hotel project was, as you said also, that's a good example of that because there were state grant programs, there were local incentives that were brought to the table, there were brownfield incentives brought by the county brownfield authority. Typically with these kind of projects, there's some sort of gap that emerges, especially when you're doing a rehabilitation or redevelopment of a site, which in this case, that's what it was. So there were, uh, you know, there were gaps identified and and those gaps are areas that you can come and help to fill, right?
0: Yeah, and that's really a great way to look at it is at the end of the day, we don't have enough money to really change the world in any one area. But if we can identify a gap, a gap where we can close that gap and bridge the distance between what is economically feasible, where's the return on the investment, that's how we justify our dollars, right? We want to fill that void where if we can just connect a little bit between what, the financial institutions can provide, what local entrepreneurs can provide, or the state, that's how great things happen. So it's recognizing what lane we're in, right? We're, n- we're not enough money to complete an entire hotel project by any stretch of the imagination. But in the early stages, whether it's the theater or something else, um, we can find just enough money to get people over the hump, where, where they now feel encouragement and they can see the light at the end of the tunnel to, to keep pushing forward.
1: You know, one of the things I've appreciated about the community foundation, and in particular yourself, is the leadership aspect that comes at the early stages of the development of these projects, right? So you help us to determine what's possible, what the priorities are for the region and then the rest of us have our marching orders in terms of what we do and how we proceed. So would you agree, I mean Blue Meets Green is a good example of that, that's the countywide strategic plan and you have played a really vital role in the development of that plan over the years.
0: Yeah, you know, and sometimes it's just being a vocal cheerleader, right? Us being willing to take the lead and us being the foundation once in a while, being willing to come out publicly and say we support this project, whether it's the Wrigley Center, right? The development of the old art band building, we put a little bit of money into that. But oftentimes, Dan's it's just a case of us being willing to come forward to the public and say, We endorse this, we support this, we're gonna rally behind this, we're gonna be a cheerleader, we're gonna be an advocate, we're gonna help push this project forward. I think that just lends a little bit of confidence to the community that there's going to be multiple stakeholders behind something. No one wants to do anything alone, right? We, right. we want to have partners. We want to have friends. Uh, and again, I think, as you know, Bloomie's Green um, plays that role. We bring people together, try to find a common ground. We don't always agree, right? But you, but you have to have some disagreements so that when you find the right project, uh, the partners rally behind it.
1: So let's turn our attention to one of the critical areas that's boiled up to the surface during the pandemic and that is availability of talent. We've got shortages in the labor force. We have people that need to be retrained to do new jobs. We have people that have decided that they wanna work from home for a variety of reasons. And that in some cases has forced people to make some tough decisions about their family, their family income, uh, or their career pathway. So let's talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that the foundation is involved with related to talent and talent development.
0: Yeah, and it's amazing, as you know, how quickly the, the storyline has changed and the issues have changed. I mean, we started a Talent Attraction Initiative back in 2015, 2016. It was pretty simple back then, right? It was a come-home program, and we were paying recent college graduates to move home. Then the world changed, and it continues to change, you know, sometimes too quickly. Um, it's a different story these days. People are working remotely. They want to have all the amenities that make quality of life an attractive a- a- asset for them. But it's the retraining, right? As the workforce changes, people's skill sets have to change. It's incredible the the different dynamics that's shaping that conversation. At the end of the day, our foundation will continue to provide funding, whether it's to people directly to move here, although there's some legal issues and and challenges for us as a 501c3 in that space. We'll continue to look for partners that want to lure talent here. um, And the model that you've probably heard us talk about, the Tulsa Remote Program, basically recognize that remote workers have a powerful presence um, that's one avenue we're looking at, it. but it's, it's, it's a, a dynamic challenge um, that we're going to stay the course on. Population growth, as you know, is, is critical to any part of Michigan, and we're not alone in this region, right, in grappling with talent attraction or, or ta- retaining talent, but, but there's got to be real money behind it, right, and there's got to be a vision that this is a great place to live, that you should bring your next business here, that you might want to move here and, and take another job here. It's, it's a challenging issue
1: for all of us, but, but we're in it. Yeah. You know, there's another area that the EDA is pretty involved with right now, which is the Industry 4.0 initiative. Because of the challenges in the labor force and the inability of companies to find enough workers, you know, our, our manufacturing plants are suffering quite a bit on productivity, their ability to fill contracts or win new contracts to continue to be viable. At the end of the day, we're going to lose a lot of businesses in this country who are unable to adopt the industry 4.0 technologies that are needed in order to continue to be globally competitive. So the challenge for us at the local level is providing the talent that's necessary because this is a different industry than what it used to be, right? You have to have a different skill set. So do you have any comments on that and and what you think the foundation's role might be in that in the future?
0: Yeah. And we've been talking more about it lately. It's Honestly, it's trying to move away from our scholarship mindset, right? Where in the, in the minds of the world, a scholarship is something you give to a student to go off to college, right? That model is not really going to cut it going forward. A college is a great path for a lot of people, but not but not everybody. How do foundations take scholarship assets and redirect them and change our mindset to say, how do we help retrain local people? We don't need to send them away, right? What's the, what's the hands-on training mechanism? So we have to change uh, what I call a sacred cow in the world of philanthropy, which is the scholarship mindset. Scholarships are a multi-billion dollar industry in America, but it's stuck in the old mindset, right? Next week, for example, we're going to go visit the Suns program at Harrison. They're trying to get more into skilled trades. How do we redirect our assets to help support grassroots effort to retrain young adults in skills, and then build that quality of life around it, right? Give them a reason to want to stay here, not not encourage them to move down south where there might be different kinds of jobs or better jobs. So we as an industry have to change our mindset and how we use our financial resources and do a better job of connecting to local training, local skill sets. Maybe that's mentorship programs, right? Maybe that's
1: apprenticeship programs. We've got to figure out how to be a a partner and a a player in that space. So speaking of which, um, we have in in our region, we have a job training grant, $950,000 that we've been approved at the state level to administer, but we're having a big problem right now, which is that our manufacturers are so short-staffed and so busy that they literally have white-collar people working on the plant floor a few hours a week because they don't have enough staff to keep you know, going with their production schedules. And therefore, a lot of these companies are unable to take advantage of the resources that are out there to help them go down the road in Industry 4.0. So we really have two issues. We have one, retraining people or bringing up the next generation of people to fill these types of jobs, but also trying to find a way to help companies even begin to make the conversion so that they're eligible for these kind of grant programs. So that's another area where I think our two organizations will be able to work together in the future. I've got some ideas on that. But uh, before I go, I, or before we go, we have just you know like a minute left, but what else? have I missed? What's new this year that's going to be coming out of the foundation that you're excited about?
0: Well, I'm I'm excited, but I'm a little worried about the whole daycare issue. Um, That is a national problem. Uh, We started to look into that pre-COVID, and now we're going to get back into it. That's a case, Dan, as you know, if if the foundation can't find a gap, a lane to stay in and figure out how we're going to make a difference, um, we're in trouble, but we can't sit on the sidelines the lack of daycare, affordability daycare, the number of daycare spots, daycare facilities, going through the bureaucracy to become a licensed daycare. Our region has got to try and be a, at the forefront of solving that problem.
1: Yeah, that is a big problem too. And I know we've got a potential daycare in St. Clair that within that local community might be able to provide some relief. That's just one micro area of, the, of a exactly. large county or even of the region. So we have a long way to go and a lot of yeah. work to do. yeah. Great. Well, Randy, it seems like we touched just the surface of all the different things we could be talking about. Before we wrap up, I just want you to know how grateful we are at the EDA for the support that we've received over the years. It's really helped us to achieve our mission. And we're just one organization that's benefited from the partnership. So thank you for all of that support that you provided over the years. Uh,
0: Thanks, Dan. The feelings mutual. I mean, there are a lot of great organizations doing our best and we're proud to be a longtime friend of the EDA. So thank you.
1: So the foundation and EDA have teamed up on many initiatives over the years. I really can't think of a better partner and we're going to continue bringing forward ideas and hopefully we'll be able to do some more great stuff in the near future. Great. Sounds good. And with that, we're going to wrap up the podcast for this week. I'm Dan Casey with the EDA of St. Clair County, and I hope you'll join us for the next Our Shoreline, Your Horizon. Thanks for
0: listening. To hear more, visit the podcast page at WGRT.com or find our shoreline, Your Horizon, on your favorite podcast app.